Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. We're going to start with good news. So I don't know about you, but I have a love-love relationship with food, which means that I really like to eat. One of my favorite things to do in getting to know a new place is to make a running list of the best food and drink in that town. And when I meet someone from that place, I have a practice where I ask them to send me somewhere that the locals go, somewhere really good, and then I write it on a note on my phone. Well, over the last six years, I've been getting to know and love the city of Spokane, Washington. Not only does my favorite college basketball team reside there, but our daughters went to school there. And then I do some part-time work with the Presbytery of the Inland Northwest, helping them to start new churches in that region. So on my phone is a note called Spokane Food and Drink by District which contains 38 restaurants, coffee shops, and breweries. And over the last six years, I've now been to almost all of them. I told you, I am pretty serious about my eating. Well, I wonder if we have any other foodies here this morning. My guess is that we do. Again, the good news, eating is part of our life with God. Well, one of the surprising things about the Bible is that food is everywhere, referenced over 1,200 times. Our food is extremely important because, believe it or not, Scripture reminds us over and over again that food actually connects us to God, each other, and to the earth. And so today, we will look at a few of those ways that it does this. And so I'm going to ask two really important questions today. How are we eating as the people of God? That may seem like a strange question, but I don't think it will by the end of our time together today. And the second one is our eating governed by the economy of empire or by the manna economy? of scripture. This word of God will challenge us. I know it did me, and I hope that it will shape us as well. And so this message is for all eaters, which means that it is for every one of us. Here we go, the story of the manna economy brought to you by Exodus 16. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam and Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. 
And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining. For what are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance as fine as the frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. But Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs an omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over. And those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, six weeks have passed since God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And already the complaining begins. Six weeks of freedom after generations of slavery. And already they've forgotten the Lord who delivered them. They were suffering from a case of short-term memory loss because of their many years of reliance on the deceptive abundance of empire. They complained to Moses because they were hungry. Now, before we're too hard on them, how many of us get hangry? I complain all the time when I'm hungry. And so the Israelites blame Moses. They blame Aaron. And most of all, they blame God. Well, the Nile River Valley was a green miracle in the ancient Near East. There was food in abundance. So much food, in fact, that Pharaoh, on the backs of slave labor, built two entire storage cities in order to stockpile the surplus. And Pharaoh, the god king, was in control of it all, or so he thought. 
The newly freed Israelites begin to look backward into the past where Pharaoh had at least kept them stuffed with good food. Well, just a few weeks ago, if those of us that were in worship that day, we saw Esau trade his birthright for a hot meal. Now the entire congregation of Israel is willing to do the exact same thing for a return to the flesh pots of Egypt. This should give us a clue of the importance and the power of food and the lengths that humans will go to get it. The Bible is placing two economies before us for comparison. The economy of the empire of Egypt versus the manna economy of scripture. Here's the economy of empire. It says, get as much as you can for yourself. Give as little as you can away. Store up as much as you can for tomorrow, for who knows what tomorrow will bring. And give Pharaoh all the credit. God's response to their forgetfulness is incredible. This God that is scripture says is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God gives them exactly what they want, food. But God does it by beginning to outline the new economy of eating, the way we are to view food under God's rule. Now, in stark contrast to the economy of eating under Pharaoh, the economy of eating under God's rule is very, very different. God says, gather food one day at a time. Make sure that everyone has what they need. Don't store up a surplus. Don't build silos and storage cities like Pharaoh. Don't build the economy on the backs of slave labor and receive with gratitude the food for the day that God, not Pharaoh, provides. Well, the economy of manna begins by rightfully recognizing the simple fact that all good gifts come from above. And it practices Sabbath, one day a week, where we deselect the selfishness and amnesia of the previous week and reselect or remember the creator as the source of every good gift. And in practicing Sabbath, the Israelites were to gather a double portion on Fridays so that they could rest in God's sufficiency on the Sabbath. And so the key question for us to wrestle with is, where do we believe our food comes from? Or to say it a different way, in whom do we place our trust, Pharaoh or God? Well, the Israelites didn't get it. And a lot of times, neither do we. Like toilet paper hoarding at the outset of the pandemic. The Israelites couldn't shake their well-conditioned response to store up as much as they could. They refused to trust in the provision of God tomorrow. 
Well, we find ourselves enmeshed in the principles of the global food economy, which is more powerful and more dominant today than ever before in human history. Just yesterday, I was watching a new David Attenborough documentary that was connecting the dots between the global food economy and global warming. We know now that closely following the use of fossil fuels is our giant agribusiness practices that are destroying the world that God has made. We get our food from a system of unending industrial production where we can, and listen to this and how similar this sounds to what we heard from our text. We can have enormous rotting surplus in one place and we can have starvation in another even though it's now a known fact that there's enough food to feed hungry people in the world. Our global food economy bears little resemblance to the manna economy of scripture. And science tells us today that the way we get and grow our food will have to change. Topsoil erosion, draining rivers, killing wildlife, poisoning water supplies, and our own farm workers. Our food practices are contributing to global warming and to robbing our children and future generations of the possibility of sustainable life on God's planet. We lost sight of the manna economy where everyone has enough and no one has too much. Well, Exodus teaches us that Pharaoh actually destroyed his own empire by a blind refusal to acknowledge God as the creator and sustainer. And so the good news is that eating is a part of our life with God, and that is good news. But the bad news is that this biblical story condemns many of our food practices today. I like this story for a lot of reasons, but one of those is because it puts something that I love dearly, food, right in the middle of our church conversations. Because we know at Lightshine that spirituality and justice are always connected. And we know from our mission partners right here in the Caneo Valley that food insecurity is on the rise. Mana Food Bank, Harbor House, the Abundant Table Farm, Westminster Free Clinic. These are just a few of our most trusted partners. And in one way or another, think about this, they all deal in food. And they all live out of a manna economy. They're urging us toward greater knowledge of justice and generosity toward our neighbors. As biblically speaking, we know that we're responsible for making sure that everyone in our community has enough. The spiritual life is never divorced from the physical needs of real people. Eating is a part 
of our life with God. And historically, as an eater, I too have both physically and metaphorically stuffed myself at the expense of others. I struggle with self-control. And sometimes I eat as if it's my last meal. And when I do this, this story helps me to think about the fact that I'm doing this at the expense of someone else. I even recently officiated a wedding where there were four food trucks. This is like a dream come true for me. A taco truck, a seafood truck, an ice cream truck, and an In-N-Out burger truck for dessert. Can you imagine how awesome that was? And yes, did I eat at all four food trucks? Of course I did. Katie even kept saying to me, do you want me to take that food away from you? And what do you think my response was? Every time I replied, no, thank you. Well, at least I was polite. I loved every bite of those meals. And after the wedding, we got into the car and I said to Katie, I think I overate. And she just laughed and said, I tried. Now, this might be a little bit funny, but it's also symptomatic of a problem that is bigger than the spare tire around my gut. Somehow, when I eat like it's my last meal I'll ever get, the next meal always comes. And aside from fasting, I don't ever go hungry. Never. This story helps me to remember in this moment that I too can choose to practice gratitude and Sabbath. I can choose to practice gratitude by thanking the giver of all good gifts. And then just maybe if I do this, my whole life will overflow with a greater generosity for those who do not have enough. Here's what the end of our text said. Each family was to gather about, it says an omer, which is really, a, it's two quarts. Think about that. It's a little bit bigger than this glass of smoothie that I have in my hands right now. Here's what the text said. It said that some gathered more and others gathered less. You know what that means? Some were listening to God. Some were trusting in the manna economy and others were not. Those that gathered more than they were supposed to discovered that their excess food rotted and was worthless, while those who gathered less somehow had enough. And there's this symbol at the end of the chapter that I didn't read that helped the Israelites to remember, to not forget the God who had not only delivered them from slavery, but who day after day for 40 years kept them fed with food. God commanded them to keep an omer, a two-quart jar of food. And they placed this jar of food in the tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant containing the Ten Commandments. 
they were to take this jar of manna and pass it down from generation to generation, teaching their kids and their grandkids, reminding them of the miracle of food. The miracle of food that they had experienced every day in the desert. To not take these good gifts of food for granted. This is sheer brilliance. I can't believe that I really had never noticed this jar before. The jar was set in front of them to help them remember where their provisions really came from and to remember the manna economy so that they would never long for Egypt again. And they would never slip back into hoarding at the expense of others. Maybe we need something like this jar to help us remember. A jar of food that we place before the Lord in our kitchens or something that reminds us to trust God more, to show us better how to truly measure what is enough for me. This symbolic jar might remind us daily of our intention to live in a creation-based economy where every single person has enough and where we care deeply about all of our relationships, food connecting us to God, to each other, and to the earth. Food is that important. Maybe a jar like this can help us individually or collectively show the world that there truly is enough for everyone if only the people of God are willing to live by a more manna-like economy, practicing gratitude for all good gifts and Sabbath in order to rest in God's provision. Amen.